talking about the penultimate episode of the first season of Archive 81, Episode 7, The Ferryman. Now, of course, in the last episode, we had Dan uh, get to the basement of the facility he was in to find that it was a recreation of the sacrifice room. He then got uh, punched and blacked out as our episode ended. So this episode, if you weren't ready for a big lore drop, it's coming at you, because this one is full of backstory. So let's get into it, huh? The show starts with an old recording about a comet that likes to swing by every couple of decades called Corrin. Named after the ferryman who helps souls get across the River Styx. Uh, The guy called it Corrin, but... I thought that it was uh, Sharon was the guy that ferried people across River Styx, but um, it comes with different names, I'm sure. So the comet likes to shoot gemstones at Earth like a bonus stage, and those gemstones are called Coronite. We start where we left off with Dan waking up in his bed after getting knocked the fuck out last episode. He checks his head for any signs that he got assaulted, and when he smiles, his teeth are covered in moss. He proceeds to puke up some black shit before he actually wakes up. Still in a bed, but this time back in his apartment. He's no longer in the archive. Dan calls LMG, but the number is disconnected. So he decides to head to the LMG building. As he enters in, he asks where the hell Davenport is, and the receptionist says that Davenport will be with him in a moment. Davenport then appears on a TV screen in the conference room, and he claims that Dan passed out due to exhaustion. Dan says he was knocked out and drugged, and Davenport's like, I've got the records. It it says that we found you passed out. And then they took you to the hospital and did like a psych eval on you and did a bunch of testing on you, and we just thought it would be better if you, you know, went back home instead of staying in the hospital. Davenport says that Dan was hallucinating everything that he's been seeing and that he destroyed a bunch of expensive equipment. He tells Dan to take the money and go home and if he ever comes back or tries to look in to the Visser incident again, Davenport will press charges and uh, Dan will be pretty fucked because uh, they did have it on camera that he destroyed all that shit, even though he took out all of the Obvious cameras. Dan proceeds to leave LMG, and as he gets outside, which I'm sure in New York is a completely normal thing, uh, but pretty much anywhere else, if you go outside and you just start screaming fuck into the abyss, you're going to get locked up. Dan returns to his apartment to find Mark digging through his shit. Mark shows Dan that he fixed up the deck for him, and he says 
that uh, he's got some things to show him. Dan says, I got some things to show you too. And he shows the memory card that he took from Thomas Bellow's camera. Dan plays the Thomas Bellows video for Mark. And he says that Thomas may not have been as crazy as it appears because he's been seeing the same non-human thing that Thomas saw. Mark says people believe that tapes can trap all sorts of things, demons, ghosts, and other things. So he's not... It doesn't appear that Mark is, like, outwardly just being like, you're fucking nuts, dude. It seems like he's sort of entertaining that there's a possibility that there's some supernatural thing going on here. Like, clearly Mark knows that there's something really odd going on. And the things that he's been dealing with, you know, from an outsider standpoint, even without the supernatural aspect, the whole thing seems insane. Like, they shipped this guy out to a remote facility by himself that was wired for sound and cameras, and then, like, he's repairing old tapes and... The things that he sent Dan on, he's got a woman pretending to be a dead woman. He's got this Thomas guy who went insane and is dead. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things that aren't great about everything that's been going on. But it's interesting that Dan, or that Mark is so, like, just open to the fact that, like, okay, yeah, sure, maybe you're right. Maybe there is some weird fucking demon thing in there. Mark says that E.B. Crest actually died a couple days ago, and uh, he shows Dan the William Crest collection that he purchased from Dan's ex-girlfriend. Mark tells him about the demon Caligo and the Baldung Witches. We get a little bit of like a background dump just to kind of catch us up to, to speed on everything that's been going on. Uh, he says William Crest was obsessed with the Baldung cult, or the witches. Uh, he got the sacrifice film from the uh, ashes of the Voss Conservatory. And, of course, we know that the Visser was built on top of the Voss Conservatory, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. Mark shows Dan a series of spirit photography er, photographs, uh, which are, of course, uh, somebody standing there, and then some ghostly image kind of behind them. And there's a bunch of pictures of the same... Voss, the leader of the Baldung Witches. And that leads us in to Dan and Mark starting to watch the, uh, the snuff film together, which is, you know, just like a normal thing you do with your buddies every couple of, couple of years. You, know, you just get together, you get some popcorn, get some brews, and uh, just watch a young girl get her, her throat slit. You know, that's normal stuff. We flash back to New York in 1924, to the Voss Conservatory. So, what we are watching, and all of this, like, backstory that we get, Dan and Mark aren't privy to. Like, it seems like they got the gist of a lot of it, like, just from the from the records. But a lot of things that we see... They're they're not gonna they they're not gonna see they don't know about all they know is the final tape and the final part of this episode that we get to. But someone named Rose arrives uh, to meet with Iris Voss. Rose is trying to get hired by uh, by her to be a maid, and Rose looks oddly familiar, as if she might be the girl that gets her throat slut, maybe. 
Rose is the last person alive from her family who came over on a typhoid-riddled ship. She says the rest of her family died, and she wished she would have died with them so that she could join them in the afterlife. I got news for you, Rose, because it looks like not only are you going to die, but someone is probably going to film it. Iris's last mate took off, or either eloped, or most likely dead. And as they're talking, Rose makes con eye contact with a music box, uh, which is sitting between them. And Iris tells her to go ahead and open it. As Rose opens it up, it's the jaunty sex cult theme song. Rose is asked if she's religious. She says no, because it's hard for her to believe that God would kill her entire family for no reason. I got bad news for you there too, sweetheart. Iris asks if Rose likes babies, because she's hoping to have kids of her own soon. Iris, of course, is not married, because her husband's dead. But apparently that's not stopping her from shopping around for one. She tells Rose that Rose is special, and is capable of holding a whole new world inside of her. Oh, what a sweet thing to say. Totally not something that's been said, that will be said later to a, a young girl in an apartment complex with the hopes of murdering her. She tells, uh, oh, they are interrupted then, uh, by two men, Lucas and Jonah, who are the brothers of Iris. They have a crate that has arrived for them. They open it up and it is the Caligo statue. So we know that this statue somehow doesn't burn. It, uh, even though the Voss Conservatory burns down, this statue is the same one that is in the Visser, and is the same one that is most likely in Virgil Davenport's position at this point. Rose serves Iris some tea and notices her black gemstone necklace, which of course is the same necklace that Cassandra wears. And she says that it's made out of coronite. That's right, the, uh, the same gems that the Corn Comet shoots into the Earth's crust. Iris explains that the Corn Comet will be arriving soon, and it will thin the veil between our worlds. So, this means that each sacrifice and attempt to bring Caligo into the party must happen when the Corn Comet is near Earth. Now, I can only assume that uh, corn is on its way again in present times, and that's why we're sort of ramping up in getting this to happen now. Um, I think the timing works out on that, because it's been 25 years. So, roughly, I mean, eh, I mean, it doesn't exactly work out, but... If it's not taking like a, if it's a 20 to 35 years, it'll work out that way. So, they proceed to have a party. There's an awful lot of parties in this episode, uh, but this one is the first one. And Iris sees someone she doesn't know. And the woman, Emma Trillet, says that Lucas invited her, and she is a published poet. I don't know that I recognize the name or the woman at all, but she wants to be there for the return of Caligo, so she apparently knows about everything going on there. 
Everyone starts to leave and heads over to another room, and Iris unveils the statue of Caligo. So then they call forth their devotion to the other world, which includes, of course, them hitting tuning forks against bowls to produce a sound. And then everyone starts to hum, uh, as Iris does, a reading from, I guess, the Book of Caligo. They all start to make their old faces and start breathing heavily, as a bunch of photos are taken of Iris, which, of course, are the spirit photos that Mark shows Dan in this episode. And uh, those same photos, of course, has Caligo photobombing her after the images are developed, which we do see. We see them develop them, and uh, her and her brother, who is developing the the pictures, are excited that, uh, hey, Caligo's just saying hi. Iris tells her brother um, she's excited to see what a motion picture camera will capture, because they were able to capture this just with a normal, old-style camera. The scene cuts to Rose finding Iris in a heap on the floor. Apparently doing this is either sapping her strength or she's already sick. I couldn't quite tell. But Iris says the, to Rose that there is another world out there, and it's run by Caligo. And he can grant any wish. He can see the future. He can heal. He can destroy. He can slap a baby into Iris as well, apparently. And apparently he can heal whatever... Uh, issue she's currently having. Rose says Iris has devoted herself to not just another world, but another god. And Iris and Rose then spoon, as Iris hopes that when she has her demon baby, that it's a daughter like her. Yeah, none of that's normal. In this show it is. But if you if you just get a job with this woman, and the next day she's like, hey yo, by the way, there's this dude, Caligo, right? And like he's got like all these, he's got like every superpower, and they're just rolled into one, right? And we want to bring him into this world, which will not at all cause any issues whatsoever. And as a mage, you're just like, uh, sure, okay, whatever you say, dude. Why don't I come spoon with you? Iris finds Rose scrubbing up mold in the kitchen. Iris tells her that the mold and the patterns is actually Caligo's world trying to cram itself into our world. Sure, it sounds reasonable enough. Um, I mean, Samuel said it was signs of their devotion, so I guess that's pretty much the same thing. It's a, it's like the, the work that they're doing is allowing the other world to strengthen and cross over a bit into our world. Rose wakes up coughing, and hears something outside of her room. I couldn't tell if she was... This coughing was like that she maybe has typhoid as well, or that she just has sick, or that she's got mold in her lungs. I don't know, because we don't elaborate on that. But Rose goes out into the hallway, and she finds Emma, the poet from the party, and she is stealing the Baldog Witch Book. It would appear that Emma is very similar to Melody, so what we have is the exact same thing that has happened that originally happened at the Voss Conservatory, again happened at the Visser, both times when they were attempting to bring Caligo into our world. It was they got a young girl who was going to be the one who held held Caligo's entire world inside of her. And they had a woman who was trying to stop it. 
Now, it does not appear that Emma was able to stop it, or maybe maybe she was, and maybe that's just how the place burned down. Either way, uh, a lot of interesting parallels there. And also, what I started noticing with this episode was, holy cow, like this whole episode probably could have been stretched out to, if not a full season, at least like a couple episodes. And instead, we're just cramming it into about a half hour here. So there's a lot that that we're kind of missing on it, but also like we just introduce these characters or are elaborating on the character of Iris in this episode, so it doesn't it doesn't really need all that much more to it. There are a couple holes, but nothing that's like plot bending. So someone tried to sacrifice and stop the Baldug from bringing Caligo to town some point in time in the past. And Emma says that um, she wants to stop them from trying it again because it, it wasn't good. The lights turn on and the entire Voss family's there. And Emma says that she is part of the Baldog and Jonah pulls a gun on her. So then she lights a flame under the book and Jonah shoots and kills her. Iris tells him, you idiot, the book doesn't burn, which of course is why it exists nowadays too, because it's been through two fires, and they needed Emma alive. So Emma was either part of the ritual, or they thought she needed to be part of the ritual. Either way, they, much like in the time of the Visser, they lured in somebody and they were going to use that person. She tells her brothers to take the body to the bathtub and collect all of her blood, which is a totally normal thing to request as well. Iris then asks Rose what Emma told her, and she claims she doesn't remember. The next day, the Voss family throws a party. Again. Just party animals, man. Iris walks in on Rose praying to God, and she chastises her for it, and asks if she wants to see her family again. Iris gives Rose the music box, which is a fine gift to give her because you can just take it back in a couple hours when she's dead. Lucas proceeds to walk away during the party, and Iris runs to him. He also doesn't want to do this anymore, and he says, Everyone at this party are just the batteries that she's going to sacrifice and use to bring about Caligo. Iris says that even though Dad is dead, they'll all be together then after this, which I guess must be one of the wishes that she wants, is to be, like, reunited with their dead dad. And that must be what she's been telling Rose as well, is like, oh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bring your dad, your, your dead family back, too. Lucas leaves, though, meaning that we potentially have a Voss family member alive today. Potentially. Or there was somebody at the Visser who was maybe a descendant of Lucas Voss. I haven't heard anybody. Obviously, that last name hasn't been used by anybody, but that doesn't mean that you know nobody that we have seen or met before is not a direct descendant of him. But he he leaves, so he survives this night. Iris gets up front and welcomes everyone to the party to celebrate the Comet Corn. Iris then brings everyone back over to the Caligo room and starts her prayer again. And we see her brother running the camera. 
She reads from the book as we cut to old-timey vision for just a little bit, just to remind you that Dan and Mark are watching this on the film strip. Everyone puts on masks except for Iris and Rose. She pours Emma's blood over the Caligo statue, just giving it a bath. Also, it makes you wonder if they were planning to use Melody the same way? Like they were going to maybe cut her throat and pour her over the statue? Or if there was really some other reason? We cut back to see Mark and Dan again watching this play out on the film strip. Iris calls Rose over and then slits her throat. Sure didn't look like Rose knew that was coming, so I feel like that she might have left that step out of the instructions. Like, look, you know, we're going to pour some blood onto the statue, uh, I'm going to read from the book, I'm going to bring you over, we have a little chit-chat, and then Kaliko's going to come there. And he's like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Nothing else I have to do? No, not at all. Once she does this, the room lights up as a white cloud appears over Iris. It then slowly descends and engulfs her, and she cries out in pain as the film strip ends. So we don't know what happened after that point. We know that the Voss Conservative burned down, so either they did something wrong, or that's just what Caligo does. Like, he's just, just like, yeah, you know, you called me here, I'm just gonna burn this whole place down. Mark asks if this was what Samuel was going to do to Melody, and Dan says, it seemed like Samuel thought that they needed a witch for the ceremony. Uh, so that must be what Emma is, was, and what Melody was as well. Well, we knew the Melody because she had, like, the ring with her, and uh, she had the issues with hearing the song because it was, like, a, a witch thing. Dan says they need to find someone who is still alive from the Visser. And Mark says, everyone's dead. And... Also, every single name that she had me run, it's like they never existed in the first place. Like, they're, they've been scrubbed from existence, pretty much. He then asks about Annabelle, and Mark reluctantly agrees to go find Annabelle Cho. I'm surprised that they didn't look for her earlier. Like, he, he knew her full name before. I guess, I mean, we... He definitely didn't tell Mark to go look for Annabelle Cho, which was weird because it's like, she was a part of that, and once you figured out that, like, she got taken out of there and probably wasn't there the night that the building went up, so the first thing you should do is call Mark and be like, Annabelle Cho, go find her. She might be alive. They head to the Rockland Mental Institute, which is the same institute that Melody was taken to. Dan and Mark are let in, and Annabelle asks if he is Dan. She asks what the fuck took him so long. They enter the room and Annabelle has a bunch of pictures of Melody that she's drawn in the same way that she was drawing Iris. She says that Melody has been waiting for him. She is in the other world, just like Iris was, and she needs Dan to get her out. And that is that. That's the end of the episode. So... I guess Annabelle either still has the paint or still has the ability to open up that doorway to the other world. And that... So, if if this like whole thing with Caligo and the, like, the white like smoke, cloudy thing or whatever like that, is him just like swooping people up to bring to his world? 
which is not exactly what it sounds like they've been trying to do, but it's possible that that's what it, what it was. It's like he just took everybody there. I guess I don't know that there's any bodies at all. Like, we, we know the place burns down, uh, which seems to be like an after effect of him being there, but is it possible that, like, Melody isn't actually dead and she just got like teleported to this other place and has been living there now we know that she'd probably be about 50 in dan's time but maybe their time moves differently or something along those lines either way uh looks like we have our setup for the finale dan needs to figure out how to get melody back to our world because she is in the other world just hanging out with Cleco, playing cards so a lot of information this episode was dropped. I I don't know if it was better if that would have been like parsed out a little bit more. I mean, we we got the majority of it, but actually like seeing the events that took place, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of two minds watching this episode. But uh, all in all, it got me excited for the finale, which uh, of course I'll be covering next week. And if there's a second season of Archive 81, I'll be sure to keep following that as well. But I believe that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for sticking around here and listening to me cover this. And I will see you on the next one. Bye-bye.